The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. If this is your first time to Summit, I want to say welcome. I want to say happy Father's Day to the fathers. We'll acknowledge you at the end of the service. Um, I also want to strongly encourage everyone to take a root beer. We thought dads would love it, but then I realized it's 9.30 in the morning and coffee sounds better. So on your way out... um, Grab a root beer. I don't need those in my house. So um, please do that. Uh, We are in a study as a church through the book of Titus. We're going to actually start chapter three today. So we're getting very close to the end of this study. We have seen in chapter two how we are called to live amongst one another as believers. And in chapter three, Paul, the author of this book, he transitions and he starts to talk about how a Christian should live in a society that isn't necessarily Christian. And and the term is pagan, but I don't want you to think pagan like pagan ritual, like just non-Christian is all it is. And where this book takes place is on the island of Crete. They are not a Christian nation. They are a very pagan nation. They're gluttonous. They're known for lying. They look a lot like America. Um, And so here's here's what I want to do to start today, okay? And I, I promise you there are differing opinions on this, so I want you to answer in your mind, okay? But if I were to say, is our world more Christian, the whole world, is it more of a Christian community, society, or is it more of a non-Christian society? I want you to think of the, of the globe. I want you to get your answer. And then I want you to come back to the next thing, and I want you to think just about the United States, and, and I don't want to cause debates at lunch over was it formed on Christian principles or not, but as it sits today, is the United States more Christian or non-Christian, just the society as a whole? And I know if you're like me and you want to really overanalyze, you're like, well, there's certain pockets that are, and then there's places, you know, where the devil rules. And, you know, so it, it, you, you really do. Is it more Christian or non-Christian? Then I want you to come into the, the panhandle state. I want you to think about Oklahoma. This is where it gets difficult for me. Is, is Oklahoma generally more Christian or non-Christian? And so you're really starting to narrow it down. And then let's just go ahead and do Oklahoma City. You... Most of you probably live in or around this metropolitan area. I just want to think about that. I'm going to throw Norman in because we have a church there. So Oklahoma City, Norman, and here's, here's what's really interesting. If you look at the statistics of people that attend church, that there's a huge difference between Oklahoma City and Norman even. But going to church doesn't really mean much. So I just want you to think, is this society that we live in, is it more Christian or non-Christian? And the reason I wanted to start with that today is because I think there's this misconception that the goal of God or the goal of the church is to make a society Christian, to change the culture in a way that the the vast majority of it would claim the name of Jesus. I think that result is a good desire, but that is not the motivation. That is not the what. That is not the goal. The goal of the church is to advance the kingdom of God. The king, Jesus came and instituted a new kingdom. He left it in the hands of his disciples, his followers, and he said, now go. Go with the gospel, with love, with mercy. Go and advance my kingdom. Grow my kingdom. Now, as the church does that, culture will be transformed. But I just want to make sure that we're all on the same page here. 
Jesus is not up in heaven going, oh, I just wish America would be a Christian nation. If they would just be a Christian nation, have Christian leaders, and this would be so great. Jesus is up in heaven going, I am the why, I am the what, and I am the how. I am Jesus, and I want everyone to know me because I am the bridge that allows you, my creation, to spend eternity with me and the Father. That's, that's what he wants to see happen. I think it's a more pure picture. So when Paul starts talking in chapter 3 of the book of Titus, he lays out what I'm calling the Christian standard. So this is the standard that he lays out for how the followers of Jesus should behave and act in a society that is not necessarily Christian or a pagan culture. Let's look at the first two verses in chapter 3. Titus 3, 1 and 2. He tells Titus, remind the people. That verb, remind, is an imperative verb, so it's, he's supposed to do it over and over and over again. And he's saying, remind them repeatedly how I taught them, Paul taught them to live. Remind the people to do these things, to be subject to the rulers and the authorities of their society, of their culture. Remind them to be obedient. Remind them to be ready to do whatever is good. Remind them to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to always be gentle towards everyone. If you've ever gone through marriage counseling or anything like that, you're not supposed to use words like always and never. It just creates fights. You always say that. You never do this. When it is an imperative here, when it is a command, and he's throwing out things like always be gentle, do whatever is good, and show that to everyone, that is a huge call. That is a huge command. That is an almost impossible task. But Paul is saying, remind them repeatedly that this is how they need to live with people who think different than them. This is how they need to live with people who do things differently. This is how they need to live amongst a society that does not value the things that they value. It doesn't say picket and protest. It doesn't say isolate and sit on a hill and make sure that no one gets in who doesn't think like you. Look at these commands. Be gentle towards everyone. Be peaceable and considerate. Do whatever you need to do that is good. Be obedient. Follow the rulers and authorities. Breaking those down just one at a time. To follow or be subject to the rulers and authorities means to voluntarily place yourself under the authority of community leaders, specifically government leaders. As you start to think through and apply that, you're like, yeah, well, what? But I'm ultimately subject to God, and what if what they're asking me to do does not line up with God? Well, there's provisions for that in Scripture. But I will say this, that is very rare. And about the only times in Scripture where it is condoned is when the rulers and authorities are asking society to bow down to other gods, and God says, no, we can't do that. But just about anything else, it says, go ahead and play by the rules. That second one, to be obedient, means to obey the laws of the land. Romans 13, Romans 13 talks about this. You, you are subject to these laws and these rules, and you're like, yeah, but I really am not. No, it, it speaks to your humility if you're willing to subject yourself to the rules and the laws of the land. Be constantly ready to do whatever is good. This is a huge charge. Christians cannot just stand on a holy hill and watch a community suffer. 
When there is need, that's what I love about Oklahoma. When there's a need, people rally. I think the church does it, but I think there's just kind of some goodness in the people of Oklahoma. But our devotion to God should propel us into the community to do whatever is good. My first ministry was in Poto, Oklahoma. I was the youth pastor in Poto, Oklahoma. And there was a book called Servant Evangelism out, and so I read it, and then there's some ideas in there that we did it. So like one of the, I got the youth group together, and we stood at a major intersection in town, and we just handed out water. Why, why were you doing that? Was everyone thirsty? No, we're just trying to be nice, trying to be in the community. You know, we gathered on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings, but we were doing these on Sunday evenings. We were going out to the community. I remember one time we went to Walmart, because that's where you go in Poto, go to Walmart. And uh, we were washing people's windshields. And we tried to catch them when they pulled in and explain what we were doing. We are just like, hey, we just want, we want you to be able to see how much God loves you. That's what we're saying, you know, see how much God loves you. And so... Um, and, but, you know, so you can only catch so many people coming in. So then can you imagine this? All right, picture this. You walk out of Walmart and there's a teenager crawling on the hood of your car. Okay. And so you, you, what do you, hey, hey, get off my car. And our, some of our students handled this better than others, but just trying to explain what you're doing. And it was amazing the conversations that happened after that and how the church actually began to grow. Because people started to feel like we cared about the community. It wasn't just, hey, we open our doors every Sunday. I don't know why you're not coming in. You go love the community. Be ready to do whatever is good. Slander no one. That word slander, it's interesting. It's taken from the same root word as to blaspheme. I don't know if you know blaspheme, but blaspheme is usually in the context of saying something that is not true about God, and it's, it's a bad one. We're not supposed to do that. And what this is saying is when you slander someone, it's like you're blaspheming God because you're ripping on his creation. No matter how someone lives, no matter what they believe, no matter what their values are, they're still created in the image of God. And so when we get on social media, when we get on our platforms and we just start ripping people who don't think or look like us, we're actually blaspheming. That's that's a big one. James says this cannot be. James chapter three, verse nine says, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Next time you're wanting to just lay into somebody, think about that. Next time someone ticks you off because they think or believe or act different than you, think about that. Paul says to be peaceable, not contentious or quarrelsome. If you always seem to be at odds with someone, okay, if, if you're just like, I, just, I, I attract quarreling. Like I just, oh, will you look at the lowest common denominator in that situation? It's probably you. And God says, I can't be. He says, be considerate. That means to be gentle, kind, and forbearing, patient, willing to defer to others' needs. Sometimes that means you're not going to get what you want. And then finally, the last phrase is to be gentle towards everyone. The way the grammar is set up here, I think that is to be a summary of all of the previous things. So to be gentle towards everyone, to show humility towards all men, you do that through being subject to the rulers, through being obedient, through doing good, through speaking no evil, through being peaceable, through being considerate. That's how you're going to be gentle towards all people. Um, This is a highly important characteristic of a follower of Christ. 
And this is how one who claims to be a follower of Christ should engage the world around them gently, showing gentleness towards everyone. Now, the next five verses explain why. And if you were here last week, I said, I'd love to know the why. Why do we need to do this? And he comes right out of the gate, okay, right out of the gate. Why should I engage them like this? They don't show me the same respect. Why in the world should I do that? Titus chapter three, verse three. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. What Paul is saying as to why you should work so hard to engage a pagan community, it's because the only difference between you and them is Jesus. And we can't ever forget that. Christians are not better, smarter, brighter, more beautiful, funnier, wittier. Christians have Jesus. And a great motivating factor is to remember that without Jesus, we would fall into the same depravity that human society has been demonstrating for centuries. It's within us, folks. It's within all of us. It's within me, the the desire for foolishness, disobedience, these passions and pleasures that drive us, the greatest atrocities this world has ever seen, the greatest evil that you can imagine, it's within all of us. And when you get all worked up, because, well, how is this person? Just remember, the number one thing they need is Jesus, who transforms from the inside out, who blindly saves and forgives because he loves He's good. And showing great humility and gentleness and obedience and peace and speaking no evil and showing Jesus to a lost and dying world. This is, this is what we need to do. And we need to remember the great mercy that has been shown to us. Verse four. But when the kindness and the love of our God and Savior appeared. See, you were once like this, but then God showed up, I love this, in two forms, in kindness and in love. Why are we supposed to do this? Why are we supposed to go love and be kind? Because God showed up in kindness and in love. It sounds a lot like Ephesians chapter two. It says, because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive in Christ. He showed up with mercy. He made us alive in Christ, his kindness and his love to give us a savior. That's why, because we're no different than them. We just have Jesus When the Savior appeared, verse 5, he saved us. And then this one's fun. Not because of the righteous things that we have done, but because of his mercy. He didn't save you because you're awesome. He saved you because you were broken. Needed saving. Not because of anything you've done. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. He saved us. We cannot save ourselves, no matter how righteous you are, no matter how much good you do for your neighbor, no matter how generous you are with your money, no matter how purely you live your life, no matter how often you attend church, no matter how much you pray, you do not save yourself. And it's been done for you because of God's rich mercy being poured out in the form of grace in his son, Jesus Christ. 
The saving process is twofold, but it kind of happens in one, one process, one continual process. So there's a rebirth. That means the old is gone and the new has come, okay? So that you're new creation, and then you are continually through the Holy Spirit transformed from the inside out. That's the renewal process. You did nothing to earn this, but for those of you who have experienced it, you simply received a free gift. You chose it. And there's a great, vast majority of our world that is being offered this same free gift. And they need to be loved in such a way as to be presented with this free gift and have the opportunity to choose it or not. Just like you did. Just like we get to. It's the only thing that makes us different. That's really, 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 really bad news for the self-righteous person in here. It's like, no, he saved me because I'm good. He saved me because I he he owed it to me. You know how many times I went to Sunday school? He saved me because of that. It's really bad news for the self-righteous. It's really, really great news for those of you in here who feel broken who feel like there's no way that God could love me. It's because of his great mercy that he loves you, not because of anything you do or don't do. Verses six through eight. So once the Holy Spirit is poured out, okay, Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, not anything that we've done, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. And Paul says this a lot. He says, this is a trustworthy saying. He's like, write this down, folks. This is a good one. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everybody. You go back. Go back to verses one and two of chapter three, and he says, just remind them constantly that it is a good thing to do this. It is a very good thing to do this. It is profitable for the advancement of the kingdom. It is profitable for the impact it will have on society. It is just good. Doing good is a good idea, especially if you're doing it because of the good that was done for you. If it's Jesus that's motivating this goodness, that is a good thing. Today, this room probably looks a lot like the state of Oklahoma. And I don't know how you answered that question, whether you felt like it's more Christian or non-Christian or whatever, pagan, whatever. So there's people sitting in here today that where you're at is you need to receive the free gift of God's mercy through Jesus Christ. That's where you're at. That's what you need to do. You feel broken. You feel lost. You feel disappointed. You feel desperate. You feel whatever you feel, but it's this free gift of Jesus that that you need because you can't save yourself. You can't fix the evil that lives within you. Only Jesus can. There's others in this room who you claim Jesus, but you struggle mightily to show mercy. The mercy that was shown to you, it's very hard for you to show that to others. And, and here, I, don't wanna, I do not want to come down heavy here because there's a reason for that. You were probably hurt really bad. And it makes it very hard for you to hear this message and be like, so I just got to go love everybody unconditionally? I don't think that's possible. You do so because you were 
and, and you love and forgive because the person you need to love and forgive who may have just been horrible. The only difference between you and them is Jesus. Some of you just simply need to embrace your role as a follower of Jesus and look at the way that you live. Look at the slander that comes out of your mouth or onto your social media. Look at, look at how you address the world and see what the Christian standard really is. As the band comes back up here, how about a statement from Jesus, okay? This one's straight from him. So Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, and I'm going to kind of cut it up a little bit but because I want you to hear it. Jesus said to his followers, to his disciples, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. A town that is built up on a hill cannot be hidden from anybody. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Why do good for everyone? Because in doing so, this world will know that we are for them because God is for them. For too long, the church has been known about what it's against. We're against this, and we're against this, and we're against this, and your society is just full of all this, and so you just, you just go keep on heading right to hell. No. God is for them. So we should be too. Now, Todd, you're getting awful political. Are you talking about anything in particular? Nope. So I don't need the emails about how we're supposed to look different than the world and be in the world. Not I, I, I know the rest of the Bible. The standard is pretty clear, though. So this is my prayer for our community. Not the community of faith, for our community. That the church would be light and would do good and would lead the charge in love so that maybe someone will see your good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. That is good and profitable for everyone. And that's what the church should be. So today there's, we're gonna take communion here after this next song. So there'll be some people up here that will to pray with you, but I just really want you to kind of wrestle through this, wrestle through this text and see where you're at on that, on that Christian standard. See, is today the day you want to allow the mercy of God to transform your life completely? I don't know what God needs to do in your life, but I just pray that he does something awesome in you today. Father in heaven, we rejoice in your name. We thank you for the grace that you poured out of us in the form of Jesus. And we ask, Lord, that because of the good that has been done for us, we will do good to others. Because of the mercy that was shown to us, we will show mercy to others. Because there's a hurt, broken, and dying world out there, we would not just huddle up in our own safe corner and watch as the world perishes, but we would go because of you and for you to be salt and light in this world. Jesus, send us 
Send us with great boldness, with great love, because of the boldness and love that you showed us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.